Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and Seth help high net worth individuals, families, business owners, and investors structure an asset-protected, tax-free fortress for their families. Learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system. Join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. Gentlemen, man, this is a big deal. This is, I mean, this is huge. The stuff we're talking about today is the stuff that you've been talking about for the last few years. And and this is exactly why you do what you do. And I did not think that I would see this again in my lifetime, like 0809 junk that happened and something happened just what last week, a couple weeks ago. Uh, last week and as early as this morning. <laughs> yeah, stuff is still going on. So we're talking about bank failures today, right? Yeah, we're going to break protocol. We're going to talk about the current issues and what that means today to us and maybe what we can do about it. Okay, let's dive in. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's like you said, Eric, you, you think, well, we talk about this stuff. We've been talking about it for years. We know that this system is one that's uh, set on shifting sand. You cannot just print money and perpetuity and have no repercussions. You cannot implement fractionalized banking and not have catastrophic failures at the end of the road. And uh, a lot of folks out there that discuss, you know, a great reset or a brand new world order, they say, well, that's the whole agenda. And other folks go, well, those are conspiracy theorists. This is a reality. There's bank failures, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, they collapsed in grand fashion. And Silicon Valley Bank is not a small bank. Had It's probably mid-tier as far as the uh, assets on hand, had $209 billion of dollars is in, in their hierarchy. So yeah. they're kind of a mid-tier bank, but it's the second largest bank to fail in US history behind WAMU in the 2008 crisis. So that's what we're that's what we're diving into. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy cuz honestly, I got to tell you, we moved to Nebraska in 2001 for a job from Washington state, and all of our banking before we moved was WAMU, Washington Mutual. And I remember in 08, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, that just, it resonated so much with me because that used to be my bank, right? <laughs> and then, and then you have to look around and say, are these other banks safe? And I'd seen what's on the news. They're really not. That's yeah. right. Let, let's really identify uh, the problem here and the, uh, the attitude. All right. This is what's critical. And then I want to maybe play the devil's advocate and let's find out who's at fault. First of all, with the Silicon Valley, let's let's talk about that. This is a blatant situation, and it, it shows how banks really feel. First thing that happened was, you know, the, the major players, the owners of the bank, sold their stock. They told their employees to sell their stock in the bank. The second thing they did was they immediately paid out. Oh, wait. The second thing they did was contact a couple of major stockholders 
and one of them uh, to get their money out, and he pulled out $100 million. Then they paid all of the staff, their employees, and the presidents and everything of, of the banking system there, all their bonuses. From what I hear, they were record bonuses. And immediately, they, you know, they went into receivership. So that's the attitude of banks, guys. That's what's happening. Most of the banks out there have sold their stock already. You're preparing for this. And who are they going to leave holding the bag? It would be the depositors and the stock owners. That is an absolute crime, but in, in today's society, and we've talked about this in an earlier podcast, that it's our attitude. We feel like it's okay to do a little deceiving, lying, and cheating, and stealing in today's society. All our leaders do it. Why don't we? So I think that's the attitude out there. So whose fault is this that these things are now starting to appear? And, and folks, the reason we're doing the podcast today is we think that the dam has now broken. Silicon Valley completely depleted the Federal Reserve, by the way. I don't know if anybody knows that. Uh, it was reported, though, on several of the news medias this morning. Our government came out and said, no, we're going to have all of the banks pitch in and bail these failing banks out. We'll get That's just a, a domino effect. They're so tight, they can't do that. And if, you know, that's a, imposed on them, bank after bank is going to fail. And we can talk about each of these issues. One more issue I'll throw out there that I know is uh, Moody's, you know, reporting services. They've just announced the downgrading of several of the major banks who are just above receivership right now. So let me, you know, throw it out to you guys. Who? Let's talk about who might be at fault. Frankly, you know, if you're paying attention to what we've been saying and and done even just a little bit of research to vet some of these facts and statistics, you only have yourself to blame if you're not taking protective measures because you don't have to keep your money in a big box bank. And just to go down the list for a second, uh, JP Morgan Chase has 3.2 trillion in deposits, American deposits, Bank of America 2.4 trillion, Citibank 1.7, Wells Fargo 1.7. Those are the biggest four and in trillions. Everybody behind them is in billions. US Bank 585 billion on down to like we said Silicon Valley had 209 billion. So still a, a very large bank. Um now, take a look at the assets of the FDIC. We've talked about this before. This is public information. You have to publish their balance sheet. And, and the FDIC cannot insure $20 trillion worth of American deposits in all the banking institutions. At most, they're worth $100 billion, and that's very generous. I've seen different statistics at different times that range from 25 billion up to 100 billion and that's not all liquid so how does a hundred billion dollars in assets insure 20 trillion in deposits it just can't it yeah. does there's no way so and that's a verifiable 
fact. It's something that you can you can easily vet. And I wouldn't have a large amount of money other than what's needed for convenience in any of these banking institutions. There are experts saying right now that you know how large a catastrophe and a ripple effect this creates is still unknown. But why do you sit around and wait till the music stops? You don't. So this is really a, an urgent warning. We've made lots of warnings, but this is really an urgent warning to keep your hands up and protect yourself at all times, move your money into safer places. You, uh, you know, Seth, I would, I would call it something just a little bit different. I would call this a wake-up bell and a call to action. Folks, we sit around long enough and let things happen to us our entire lifetime to get to this situation. I think, Seth, you nailed it right on the spot. Whose fault is with the problems that we're having in the country today? It's the public's fault. It's our fault for not getting involved. Because of what's happening, you've got to raise your voice. You've got to make a phone call. Uh, involved with, with another gentleman's podcast this last Monday, and we talked about this. Did you know that your voice represents a minimum of 10,000 people just like you when you call your state representative or your senator or whoever else you're going to call? That's the minimum. And it can go well over 100,000 with each phone call is coming in, the way they do their numbers and statistics and, and polls and stuff, that each phone call represents a number of people. If we got hundreds or thousands of people calling in, they would listen. They, they would, you know, <laughs> do something more than what's happening now when we're dead silent. So be, a, be that as it may, we have been fighting or been living with bank corruption ever since the Federal Reserve, you know, went to power here in our country and started legalizing and putting in laws to allow the banks to do what they could do. Because at the beginning, it was totally against the law. No bank could do what they're doing today without, you know, going to prison. In the very beginning, we used to tar and feather them and run them out of town if they ever lent more than they had in deposits. And when they got caught, they were severely punished, but not today. Just because they passed a law that allows them to do it doesn't make it legal or ethical. So we're facing with that right now. Let's throw out one more thing as we're going along here. Look at other countries that have really gone down the tube. Look at Venezuela and Argentina. When their banks started failing, what did government do? Exactly what our government announced. They are going to print more money to get us out of this. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think that it's very telling of the systematic um paradigm like we've talked about and printing of money is not going to rescue our economy or depositors money effectively you've got you've got to it's, it's open seth it's opening us up for this this fiat currency this digital currency this is what they want to bring in to solve they want to have everything totally disheveled 
even throughout the world, and then they want to bring in the digitized currency so that they can totally control us. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a given. And so how, how do you maintain freedom and autonomy? You know, one way is, is through financial freedom. But yeah, I th- this this is really a, a warning last one of the last warning uh, sounds that I think people are going to hear. This is the way it usually goes down. Is And you, there are statistics on this that show bank failures. What day of the week do they occur? Do you know, Eric? What's your guess? Typically Fridays, I'm assuming. Yeah. they On Fridays, they everything is uh, normal as you, you know, usual. And then over the weekend, people come back to, uh, at least the people that aren't in the know, that are slow to react, come back and the bank's gone into receivership and it's failed. But like Vance said originally, the folks that are in the higher level executive places or these Israeli hedge funds and and um, raising capital and have money in these banks, they knew about this before. They were pulling their money out of Silicon Valley Bank days and weeks before the normal public is. And they sit back and scratch their head and go, the normal public is just like a sitting duck. And it's no mistake or no accident that these failures happen on Fridays for, and that's, that's calculated. So it's kind of like banging a cymbal as loud as you can and, and hoping that people pay attention, but some will and some won't. We had a client recently, Eric, that, that began to move literally seven figures out of big box banks and put them into different safer places that applauded them for, for taking action. And um, it's important that you really do some homework and find some ways to protect yourself. Well, the bottom line is that we've, we've talked about the FDIC on this podcast. You've talked about it before as well. And that it's quote unquote insurance for depositors that they can access up to $250,000. Everybody sees the stickers on the outside of banks. Problem is, is that and, and this is this is actually I'm just coming from an article in USA Today. That's great. That's possible. However, um, like you guys said, the FDIC can't possibly insure everything that all the banks have. And then number two, there are companies and, and most people will know that these two companies like Roblox and Etsy, both those companies had way more money in Silicon Valley Bank than $250,000. So we're, we're talking not just the banks and the people that have money at the banks that are affected. Every business owner that had money in this bank that was over that amount, they're not insured for that. Not for that amount from, from, I mean, maybe they have, maybe there's some sort of private insurance they could have gotten in case something like this happened for their business, but not within the banking system. And all those companies, if they now have lost a ton of money, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to have to cut employees. They're not going to be able to pay everybody. There's going to be layoffs. I mean, this is a, the trickle down effect from something like this is horrendous. It's, it really is <laughs> horrendous. Think about the, uh, you said the trickle-down effect is, is really critical here because there's nothing they're going to be able to do. So, folks, it's time to start asking the questions you should have asked when you opened up your accounts. It's time to call your banks and say, look, I'm depositing money in here. What guarantees do you have that I'm going to be able to access and have my money. What can you guarantee me? No lip service. What can you write to me? Where can you point that my money is guaranteed? Banks are supposed to be safe, but we can see now that they're not. So how are you going to guarantee 
you know, my deposits. If I move, if I'm getting ready to buy a house and I have to put a whole bunch of money in your bank and then I need to write it, write out a check, how are you going to guarantee that money is going to be there for me? These are the questions. They can't, but the questions have to be asked. They've never been asked. But they'll sit there and look at you right in the in the face and try to give you answers to make you feel a false sense of security. But the reality is, is that your money's not safe in those big box banks. And it's for the fundamental reasons that we're talking about. It fractionalized banking. And I'll just recap that for a second. We bring in $100,000, Eric to a big box bank they keep ten thousand on hand in reserve they loan your ninety thousand my ninety thousand out to make home loans and car loans and business loans and that ninety thousand isn't there if every depositor wants their money back at the same time that's called a bank run which is exactly what happened to the silicon valley bank the money's not there and they're insolvent and FDIC steps in for uh, Silicon Valley Bank, but they don't have the assets to step in for every bank. And this was, I mean, it's a clear, it's a clear Ponzi scheme. So the FDIC rescues one bank, rescues two banks, but they can't rescue every bank down the line. It's not possible. It's not, it's not within their asset base to be able to accomplish. So, well, then you go, well, you got the federal government that will step in and begin to bail out these banking institutions. Well, they'll have to print $20 trillion out of well, thin see, air. They're, they're going to in, introduce their, oh, we're going to save the day. We're going to do digital for currency. We're going to switch the whole system now over to digital currency. That's how we're going to save the day. Or you guys are going to suffer. Do you see yourself in that story? Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Are you ready for help? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com. Could be. It could be. I mean, it's all a mechanism for, for control. So my concern is is this. Within the stock market, within the investment world, insider trading is illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Insider but, trading yeah, is it, illegal. It's not allowed. So how is it possible? Get away with it. And so how is it possible within the banking system that all these people, again, from the USA Today article, um, the CEO, Greg Becker, sold $3.6 million worth of company stock less than two weeks before the firm disclosed its extensive losses. So obviously, like you, you've already said that for multiple people, multiple entities that went in, sold off stock to get their money out real quick before this was announced. And then they announced it for crying out loud. I don't understand how that's not insider trading of some kind. Back in our early turn of the century here, or 2000s, government officials got caught trading insider trading because they have to get that information and the politicians and the government people look at that and they actually go in and do insider trading and get themselves filthy rich well the public found out about that and somebody actually came on online this is back when they used to report things to us you know when new laws were passing they usually would make an announcement for several days or weeks 
get public opinion before they would finalize laws. Now they don't do that. But all of a sudden, they got caught, and so they said, okay, we um, that is illegal. We can't do that. About the time Martha Stewart also got caught for insider trading. Um, and so that lasted for a total of six months. Then they rewrote a law to allow them to do it. This is a total corrupted law. But now inside government, they're completely open to insider training. But outside government, boy, you get caught doing it as a citizen. You're going to federal prison right away. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's right. what's going on because the banks control are, are controlling government. They get their way. Yeah, that's why I think, folks, if if you haven't taken this to heart before now, surely these bank failures have got your attention. And, you know, so the question is, Vance, is what do you do to protect yourself? Well, here's another call to action, guys. We have shown you the solutions. Let's not play in this ballpark anymore. Let's not play this game. Let's create our own environment let's create our own town let's create our own system that does not create taxable events we have to be in the world you know we have to earn an income and uncle sam is going to take his fair share of income but why not set up your own banking and get the money back like real banks do. I mean, banks can be honest. They could be. And it could. It, it's the most profitable business since the creation of man. We can do that on our own. There's The call to action is right now. These contracts are available. Could they be taken away? Maybe. But everything in existence is going to be grandfathered. Could the cost of the insurance portion go up? Yes, it's going up as we speak because of the sudden death syndromes. The uh, disability companies and the term insurance companies are getting absolute hammered with 80% higher increases in deaths than their actuarially reports based on their, their pricing. So the call to action is to learn how America founded our country, how the people did, set up that own, their own system of family unit independency, and live it. They can't stop you. That's the worst nightmare for government is if you learn you know, these secrets. Breakdown for the listening audience, especially those that are just joining us. How safe is this? Because that's the concern. They people thought their money was safe in banks, even though they were told it's not. You know, and that that FDIC insurance sticker thing on there that that looks great, but it doesn't cover everything. So, how is this safe? What guarantees do they have that this is going to work for them? And their an insurance company isn't going to fail, and all of a sudden, all their money's gone. Seth has got some comments on this, but I'll I'll start this first of all. We have to understand that life insurance companies that were created before our country was a country and had their foundation and their businesses going were grandfathered under 
the uh, Federal Reserve takeover, so to speak. They're almost independent. They are highly regulated by state, but not by federal government. Then you take a look at time and history. Since our country was created, these companies that we're talking about, these banking companies, have never not paid out a profit dividend. Uh, this is through all the crises our country has ever had. Now, could we be facing an unknown crisis? Maybe. We possibly could. But the life insurance companies are always and have to maintain 100% cash reserve against all cash value and death benefits. The excess is what they use to invest, you know, lend out almost just like a bank does. But we see very, very few failures in my lifetime, and I'm over 70 years old. I've seen that happen with three companies. And before the day was out, on all these cases, maybe it took an extra day, but they didn't announce it. Because of the cash reserves, other companies stepped right in and honored every single contract and every penny of cash value. There wasn't one client that has not received all their benefits. Now there's another step. Tell them, Seth, about where the banks put their safe money and government. Yeah, it's some of the largest contracts, the volume of contracts come from the banks. So for example, you've got Wells Fargo and Bank of America with billions of dollars in premiums on their employees that they use to bank funds with the life insurance companies. Now that's not all that's not doesn't mean the same as all of the deposits they've got in their bank, but they the safe place that the bank banks is with the life insurance contracts. And back to the fundamental concept of fractionalized banking, which is what the centralized banks are engaged in, where they keep a tenth or less on reserve and the rest of the 90% or more they lend out, life insurance companies can't do that. So there's a one-to-one -one reserve, which was what Vance was describing, which makes them inherently solvent. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that is the safe place to bank. And, and not only that, we've touched on this, it bears repetition, and that many of these states that regulate their life insurance contracts have asset protection laws where they make they're the contracts, the life insurance contracts, exempt from creditor attack, exempt from taxation. And so the Internal Revenue Code 7702 makes that a, a tax advantage system where the money in and out in policy loans, the money paid in death benefit distributions is all a, a non-taxable event, which um, is inherently asset protected and further shores up the solvency of the life insurance banking. So, you know, where the call is, folks, you need to have an alternative place to park your wealth. This is where the banks, government officials and everything are parking their wealth, okay, or in these companies. So could they goof it up? Government can do any stupid idiotic things like they're doing maybe they, they they try that but i for now these banking contracts exist 
So a word of caution here, folks, if you're listening to this and you want to secure your money, yes, you need to go out and immediately start one of these banking contracts, but don't get caught up in the wrong thing. If anyone suggests universal life or indexed universal life, though it has its place, it is not and does not have anything to do with banking. Universal life shifts all the risk and all the exposure to the client, and you will have as much, if not more, exposure than coming out of your banks. So you want to use these contracts with the companies that uh, we probably recommend. There's great companies. They've been in existence 100, 150 years. They're participating companies. They pay dividends, which is profits. You become an owner of the company. If you set up the contract right, you can deposit wealth there and be able to access it. But it's like starting a new business. If we've waited till today to start a brand new company, it still takes a little time before it's more than 100% profitable. But the guarantee with these things is all iron clan. It's all etched in granite, guys. The longer you keep have these, the longer you keep them, the more efficient they become. I'm watching people who have had contracts now for 25 years plus. They put in an amount and the cash value increases by double or triple that. Hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I was looking at an illustration today that uh, is on a policy from 1992 with a very small premium, Eric, of about $5,000. And the cash value increase on the annual premium is 12 2 uh, Wow. It, so they're getting over two and about two and a half times what they're putting in in cash value, which is there's no other business on earth like that. Now that's t taking some time to season, mm -hmm. but that's why it's important. The sooner you get started, you know, the more value that has. And it's really not a matter of you want to have as much as possible premium as you can when you're getting two and a half times in dividends on it every year and your cash value is increasing. That's it's a no brainer. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to I want to touch on one more thing. I know we're running out of time here, but I just want to verify for the audience. First off, with SVB again, I'm, I'm coming off of the USA Today article. One of the things that it said, one of the reasons it it failed, is because they invested a ton of their funds in long term bonds when rates were near zero. And the reason I say that I feel as just somebody in the public thinks that that's important is because if you watched what the government has done for the last couple of years, printing a ton of money, putting us into an inflation all that, it affected bonds tremendously because of the actions that the government took. So it's not just the banks that are influencing the government. The government's decisions obviously had ramifications on this bank. And because those the bonds were at near, near zero, when the interest rates rose, the bond prices fell. And so they lost money. And that's one of the reasons that it started the entire collapse. They lost billions. So I just want to, I assume that the policies that you guys are talking about, the way these private banks are set up, the policies aren't going to fall into that same situation where they're investing in the wrong thing and the government screws it up. So you've, you've got to seek expert help because we think we know what we're doing when we don't, or it's wrong. <laughs> That's where the problem comes in. Not about not knowing. It's about trying to solve an issue, thinking you're doing the right thing and you're still not. 
that's what I'm trying to get the audience to understand is that the banks, you know, screwed up because of, of too many eggs in one basket. Basically, the government did what they did, which screwed up the bond rates. And that's why this bank lost billions in their, in their bonds. And it started the tumbling down effect. And then, of course, the run on it. But just verifying that the insurance company or the, the policies that are being created aren't subject to the same thing. The life insurance companies, Eric, are they do in, invest, but they invest in, for lack of a better word, defensive items, things that we all need every day. Okay. And then they lend to their own uh, their own people. They people borrow money out, and it's fully collateralized. So those loans are are no brainers. Where the government definitely has gone wrong. See, inflation has hit us. And now they cannot even afford to pay the interest on our debt, and they need to raise prices. Well, that shuts money supply off, and that shuts, you know, it's just a never-ending cycle. And we've been into this. We've been warning about it now for years and years, and now there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. Any closing thoughts for today's podcast? Yeah, I, I, I want to just encourage people to open your eyes wide open, vet some of these facts that we're discussing about FDIC solvency, what they have on their balance sheet, how many American dollars are deposited in banking institutions across America, how those two things relate to one another. Do some research on fractionalized banking. Do some research on derivative lending and, and then revisit some of these statistics that we're, we're discussing and, and make some decisions that protect you and your family. And if you want to learn more about private banking, you can find us at privatebankingstrategies.com. That's privatebankingstrategies.com. And we've got a free book offer there called What the Banks Don't Want You to Know. That's a red pill book, we like to call it, which exposes some of these same issues that are coming to light with these recent bank failures. And if you like that content, you can dig so much deeper with podcast after podcast that we've produced, Eric, with you. And uh, really, binge on the content. And, and if, if those subjects resonate with you and you're syncing with what we're talking about, then schedule a call with Vance. Uh, have an exploratory call and learn how this can actually work for you and your specific financial situation, your numbers, and get an eight-year roadmap that really lays out step-by-step uh, how to protect yourself and how to best benefit you and your future generations and your family. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to also throw on the gauntlet here, guys. Th this is a pretty important podcast to get out there. All the podcasts you've done, it raises a lot of questions in folks' minds. So I'd like to challenge the audience. Any questions that you have, I want you to email them in. Things that you maybe you haven't heard in a podcast or you're curious about or was it was confusing to you or you just want a little bit more explanation, email those in. What email could they use to do that, Seth? Info at privatebankingstrategies.com. Info, I-N-F-O, at privatebankingstrategies.com. Perfect. And then one of these days, we'll. Uh, I know that you guys will answer those emails once they come in, but also I'd love to do a podcast of answering all the questions, You know, reading the questions that the audience sent in, because if somebody, if one person has that question, there's probably other audience members that do as well. So guys, I want to thank you for your time today. This has been fantastic. Awesome. You're thank welcome. you. Great you to be bet. here.
You bet. And our last thank you will always go to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Private Banking Strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Banking Strategies, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com. Thank you for listening to the Private Banking Strategies Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of private banking strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.